This is Sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. My guest today is Kurt Willems. Kurt is the pastor and the church planter of Seattle Pangea, which is obviously in Seattle, since I just called it Seattle Pangea, just a little bit north of downtown, really kind of right in the heart of uh, Seattle itself. Kurt is also the host of a podcast called The Paul Cast, which you may be familiar with. Seems like he's got a pretty good following with that, and has a pretty well-known blog uh, that you can run across, and you can find linked on the Sermon Smith website. Great to talk to uh, Kurt. He's got a mixture of Anabaptism as well as a liturgical sensibility, so he crosses a couple streams in a way that he thinks is meaningful, and I, I agree too, is, is meaningful in a city like Seattle. And it it's pretty common in some of the conversations I've been having with others who are exploring what does it look like for the church to be meaningful in some of our urban centers today. One note before we move on, which is, uh, I, says, I say this sometimes at the end, but I'm going to say it up front here. Uh, if you're appreciating the podcast, uh, you could help spread the word by leaving a review on iTunes. That's one of the ways that people help find pod, other podcasts of interest if they see a, a podcast has been reviewed often, and iTunes helps escalate podcasts when it sees that. And of course, you can share posts on Facebook or share posts on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sermonsmithcom. I uh, can't change that, and I wish I could. Uh, and then as well as on Twitter, where we are simply Sermon Smith. So thanks, friends, for listening. And here we are with Kurt Willems. That's go for it. Why don't you talk about where you're at? Talk about the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle. Talk about your church. Give us an idea of your context. Yeah, yeah, no, great. Um, And thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to chatting it up about sermon prep. I mean, what a what a thing to talk about, you know, Um, it's it's an art form. It's something I enjoy and I'm sure you enjoy. So, Uh, yeah, in our context, I've been here since uh, August of 2013. I was sent by our denomination, the Brethren in Christ, which is sort of uh, an Anabaptist uh, tradition, so kind of Mennonite, but within within that, there's a splattering of some Wesleyan influences and uh, Pietism, I suppose, and some other things. But yeah, Anabaptist at the core, and uh, we have no churches in Washington that I'm aware of. So if there's others, I am very much in the dark about those. But <laughs> we're the first work out here, and so they sent us sort of in this idea that um, we were parachuting in. We had my daughter, who was three months old, and my wife and myself, and then my good friend, Brett, who moved up here, who's still part of our church to this day. And so we we actually did a vision trip. Uh, well, I did like five vision trips, I suppose. But my wife and I did a first trip out here. And uh, that was, wow, that was back in 2000 and nine or 10. I'd have to think through that, but it, it was a couple of years before we actually relocated. And, uh, we just fell in love with this neighborhood and a mentor of mine who continues to mentor me in the area of church planting, uh, was, was very clear. He said, Kurt, based on what I know about you, you probably are going to find that there is a neighborhood or a pocket of town that feels like you could call it home. And, I would I would test out whether or not that's the way God's going to actually send you and um, 
kind of equip you with your vision for this plant. And lo and behold, that happened independently after a basic city tour. My wife and I both came to the conclusion that Ballard was a place. Um, it's it's great. It's a gentrifying neighborhood. So there's all kinds of interesting tensions, I suppose, um, between uh, folks who have lived here their whole lives who are now being pushed out because of rising costs to an increase in homelessness and some of that stuff. Um, so, so there's definitely a, a challenging side to it because, you know, as people rooted in the kingdom, we want to be people who, um, seek, uh, the welfare of all people. Um, so we, we definitely are in a interesting phase of the neighborhood's history, but I would say that, you know, granting that and wanting to really name that and be honest about that, we love the neighborhood. We love, um, other parts of, uh, what it's becoming. And uh, my wife works a mile, maybe even a less, less than a mile from where we live. And our church is about a mile from where we live. And, you know, it's just become this really cool contrast to, we grew up in a very um, suburban slash rural uh, environment. And so it's definitely been a contrast in that way. But um, yeah, and so we're, we're reaching out to Folks, I would say most of our church is in its 20s and 30s, and uh, a lot of post-evangelicals have been drawn to our church in these early days, and um, you know, we a lot of those in Seattle, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, there really is, and and there's a lot of people who are kind of like, do we want to be institutional institutionally Christian anymore? You know, and and for a lot of folks, the the journey takes them out of the church and. I don't know. I just have this weird conviction that Christ actually died to redeem a body of people that reflect uh, the love of God to the world. And so um, what's really cool is that some of these folks give uh, give us a shot and get involved and start serving in ministry and start leading groups and doing all kinds of things. And so um, that's been really encouraging as we've been out here. We're very young as far as our start. So we got out here in 2013. We launched in September of 2015. And oh, wow. okay. uh, so it's still very fresh. We're about uh, not even quite a year and a half in. So, um, so we're still figuring out who we are, our identity and, um, our rhythms, you know, what does it mean to, be uh, a community that is recognizably church, but also tries to live out the radical teachings of Jesus in our own context, in our own way. And so, um, yeah, but it's it's really been quite a, an exciting journey. Uh, you've started church stuff, so I, I can imagine <laughs> there's also stress uh, and disappointment that comes along the way. That's all gone after a year and a half. Yeah, You're yeah, almost yeah, yeah, past yeah. all of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm very much emotionally grounded when it <laughs> comes to the tensions of, you, you know, church planting is weird, especially if you don't get sent by a church in the, the area. For us, it's like we're here. So we've drawn all of these like relocators to Seattle who have heard about us maybe through my online stuff or from a friend of a friend. But, you know, um, now we're in that phase where we're asking the question, how do we really authentically become a church of Seattle people, you know, and, uh, and that's a, that's a slow going process, but we're, we're definitely committed to that. So, so yeah, that's a little bit about us. We're called Pangea and, um, we're, uh, yeah, we meet in a small Episcopal church building and, um, our, 
really excited about the possibilities ahead of us. And brethren in Christ, there's so many, uh, you know, denominations that have brethren tied to it. There might not be that many, but oh, yeah, you, you would be part of the same stream then that like Meeting House is part of. Is that brethren in Christ? Well, like Bruxy Cavey? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So no, yeah. Bruxy and I are in the same denomination. Right. Uh, okay. We uh, we used to actually, our, our whole like conference was, you know, denominationally, we were Canada and the U.S. together. So we were a North American expression, but we... Uh, in 2012, split, not out of anything but functionality concerns. Um, and so, yeah, I don't get to see that crew as often as I would like. But uh, yeah, Bruxy's uh, been great over the years, big encouragement. And we love what the Meeting House is up to for sure. So I think this makes you my third Brethren in Christ interview. Are you serious? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. did you did you interview Brux? I, I did. I interviewed Bruxy a couple years ago. And then... Probably about last year this time, I interviewed Meredith Thancos, who's at the ah, recently renamed Meeting House in Pennsylvania. Th those are my people. Meredith is a—well, were you at the school when she I was? was? Ah, yeah, we went to school together. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I have very strong relational ties to the newly renamed uh, Meeting House USA crew in Pennsylvania. So Josh Crane and Meredith and— uh, you know, that whole group of folks are, those are my people, man. I love Bruxy too. So, so we've got, yeah, we've got some great people that are part of our movement. Good. I, I'm sitting here, even as we're talking, I'm sitting here thinking I either emailed Josh Crane about being on the podcast and he never emailed me back because I oh, met yeah, that, Josh, Josh or, or I meant to email Josh and I forgot to get around to it. And so now I'm racking my brain, but that doesn't need to be discussed right now. Oh, but well, all, well, I, <laughs> all I, I that think... is. I, I, I would put the blame on Josh because even if you didn't email him, he should be sensitive enough as a minister of the gospel right, to have this right. intuitive sense that he's supposed to be on your show. So, right. um, yeah, you know, <laughs> so uh, if he gives you any trouble, just let me know. I guess Meredith can smack him around if need be, too. But we're pacifists. So we don't do that. So anyway, um, <laughs> so for, so for yeah. your congregation, I know that this might be unique and different brethren in Christ, but for your yeah. congregation. Like, what would you say the role of preaching is in the life of Pangea? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say that, you know, we're really committed to a two-rhythm uh, approach to church. And, and this isn't like foreign, right? A lot of churches do a Sunday expression and a midweek expression. Um, we've always said that we really want the percentage of people that are part of our Sunday worship experience to be really highly engaged in our midweek villages, which are essentially missional communities or larger small groups or whatever, um, depending on your, your jargon and context. Sure. Um, and that's really a huge value. So, so preaching is um, definitely still central to our expression of church. If you come on a Sunday morning, I do the 30 to 40 minute talk and uh, we teach in series very much kind of uh, uh, evangelical-ish in style, I, I, I would sense, um, you know, like the meeting house would be, I guess, similar in that way. Um, but we're also for being a brethren in Christ church, we deviate from our tradition a little bit. Um, we're also fairly liturgical as a, as a church and, very much Eucharistic. Um, we are committed to 
in some mysterious sense, the presence of Christ meets us through communion, um, which is a very not Anabaptist thing to do or say. They let me stick around. But, um, you know, and so I would say that the joke has been, and I got this from Brian Zond. You know, Brian was telling me like, yeah, we do communion every week, which gives me permission to have a bad sermon week, right? So if, if the yeah. sermon's bad, don't worry, we're headed to the table. Um, and I, I thought that was really, really good. And I think that would be true of our context that um, we eventually want to head to the table. But sermon is still very much like a big part of uh, what we do. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. And uh, so let's just let me drop this out there for context, because I would imagine this is going to circle into the conversation alongside yeah. uh, the church. You started this past year, the Paul cast. Why don't oh, you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Because I would imagine some of your prep for the Paul cast and some of your prep for the sermons go hand in hand. But I certainly think they'll come up in the midst of this conversation. So talk a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, I did start a podcast and it was, I don't want to say it was on a whim, but it was definitely something that I had the idea and I researched, okay, so what's the most effective way to start a podcast? And um, what do I need to make it happen? I, I hit up a few people online. I probably put out feelers online and uh, yeah. And so I started that in the spring of this last year and Basically, that's the overflow of uh, my academic side of my life. So I have a Master of Divinity from Fresno Pacific Biblical Seminary, but I also am finishing up work right now in a Master of Arts in uh, Comparative Religion at the University of Washington. And so uh -huh. I study Paul within his Roman context as a Jewish person who has encountered the resurrected Jesus but is thoroughly rooted in Second Temple Judaism and wants to tell the outsiders that they can be in. And so that is where my academic stuff comes from. And so what I've tried to do with the podcast is kind of sort of a bridge, right? So on a Sunday morning, I can nerd out to a point, but the point of a Sunday morning isn't to nerd out, right? The point of a Sunday morning is to say the life of Jesus, when it comes among you, when it is within you, changes you. And that can change your neighborhood. That can change your relationships, your world. Um, the Paul cast, uh, certainly as it kind of trickles down, I suppose, will lead to some of those same sorts of things. But I get to nerd out a little bit. I get to talk about weird, like this week, we talked about covenantal gnomism, which, uh, you know, unless you study Second Temple Judaism and or into the new perspective on Paul type stuff, that phrase means nothing. But there, there are folks out there who are into learning about what do scholars talk about when they talk about Paul and his world? And does that have any ramification for how I think about the Bible? And if it does, how do I think about my world, right? So there's a few more steps involved there. But at the end of the day, I'm still very passionate even there about how it affects um, our conversations uh, ought to be humanizing and intelligent. And so, um, so yeah, that's a, that's a fun little thing. I get to interview people. I interviewed Scott McKnight and, um, you know, several others already. And it's, it's been great. So, um, yeah, if you want to check that out, paulcast.org to plug it. But um, it's, my, it's my creative side, my passion side for sure. So it's, yeah, I mean, it sounds like that's not even really something – that might not be as pertinent even to this conversation because it doesn't sound like you're doing prep for that as much as you're just talking about stuff you're already learning for school. 
Well, yeah. Um, I mean, there definitely is a prep process, but it is more, oh, I wrote a research paper. How could I break this down? You know, um, but it is pertinent insofar that um, as we'll talk about our prep process. I have found in the last couple of years that I spend a lot less time during sermon prep in commentaries and uh, trying to get a feel for what's going on in the world of the text, mostly because I, I spend a lot of time in the world of the text, if that makes sense. Um, and so it's worked to my advantage. These things really do flow together versus being siloed parts of my life. Uh, you know, and I think a lot of people assume you can't do academics and be a good pastor. And, um, I don't know that I'm a good pastor, but I'm trying to be, you know? And, uh, yeah. so, so that's kind of maybe a, an entry point into what we can talk about when we talk about like the prep and how they work together. But yeah, yeah, there's definitely a difference. Well, let, let's talk sermons then. All right, let's do it. <laughs> um, let's do it. Looking at, looking at the Pangea site, it looks like you do pretty much some topical stuff. So yeah. talk about the planning for that. Like how far out do you do it and how do you discern like where you're going to go with future series? Yeah. You know, um, I would say that, um, I probably don't plan out as far as I was taught to plan out. Um, hmm. I, in, in a perfect world, I would be, uh, planned out, you know, a year out. I think, I think that's, what a lot of the uh, churches that I've been influenced by do, they're very intentional about that. Um, I think the furthest out I've planned is how far out I'm planned now, which was basically my Christmas series that we just finished um, through Easter Sunday, which is blowing my mind that I've planned out that far. Uh, <laughs> and it's not that far. <laughs> um, but, you know, and I, I, I think about various things. I think about what topics um, or themes are pertinent to my community at this point in their journey, you know? Um, so we had a whole series called the politics of Jesus because, well, we had a crazy election happening and um, oh, was that there too? Uh, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> was that happening there too? Yeah. You know, it was a little wild and uh, yeah, the, um, the idea there was like, okay, so we're an Anabaptist community. And, and by the way, if you don't know what Anabaptist is all about, it's not anti-Baptist because you and I couldn't have a conversation, I would assume, um, because if I understand you're somewhat Baptist, but like it's uh, this tradition of um, faith that comes out of the radical reformation. Um, and one of our distinctives has always been a suspicion towards nationalism and violence. And, uh, and so the question for folks in my tradition is always, how do I opt in and how do I opt out as a follower of Jesus? What, where are the opt-ins that make sense because they're maybe promoting the common good? And where are the opt-outs where it gets very blurry and maybe I'm putting my trust in the system versus my trust in the countercultural nature of God's inbreaking kingdom? And so we had a series on that, and it was very much, I think, um, applied to our situation, our processing, um, you know. But uh, yeah, so I, I guess that's just a practical example of I see a need, uh, my my team sees a need, and actually my buddy on our staff actually emailed me and said, hey, I don't know if you're already thinking about it, but 
can we do a sermon series on Jesus and politics? Because I'm really feeling the angst and so are a lot of my friends. What do you think? Right? So, so it wasn't just me in a vacuum thinking, this is what everyone needs to hear. It was, whoa, um, this is an affirmation of what I was toying with, but wasn't sure that I was going to pursue. And it ended up being a series that a lot of people appreciated, you know? So, so yeah, that's kind of a, a scattered way of saying I plan, but I plan loosely. Um, and sometimes I think a series is going to be a certain number of weeks. And then I realize, whoa, I've said everything I want to say. So I need to, <laughs> sure. so even in the politics of Jesus series, I was going to go all the way up until election day. And I got two weeks from election and I was like, dude, if I say anything else, this is just me trying to extend the series so I can sort of somehow say that I did it successfully in the right time frame and was very strategic about the election, you know? And so I just was like, well, uh, this week's the last week. Let's do something else and I'll figure out the election when it comes, you know? So, so yeah, that's a little bit about my process, I suppose, as far as big picture. So, so it sounds like as you look ahead, like, you know, you, you knew you were going to do that series, but you didn't have it real granular on week to week. Like how you, when you say through Easter, do you just have some big chunk of series concepts, but not necessarily broken down week to week? Or what does that planning look like? Yeah. So I'm pulling up my list right now as we talk, right? So, um, I had a three week Christmas, uh, series, which as a, person who appreciates the liturgical calendar i kind of butchered it by not doing four weeks but whatever um we uh we started a week late in advent but i we planned that out and uh you know i have a new year's little talk here that i did this last week called renew uh and uh this week we yeah it's all mapped out week by week but here's what's interesting even as i look at this um as of right now, I have on the docket a series that the title I actually borrowed from perhaps Andy Stanley or one of those folks called Why in the World, talking about the problem of evil. I have on the calendar three weeks, but as I've sat with it, I've been thinking to myself, no, 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 like three weeks is like the foundation. I may need two or three more after that, which means my five-week series that I was planning on doing up until Ash Wednesday that's not going to work. So I'm going to move that somewhere else so that the series I have set out during Lent is, um, I feel really passionate about that. So I don't want to mess with that. And so, so yeah, there's, there's gotta be flexibility, at least at this stage in our church's life, because we're always trying to put our ear to the ground to hear where kind of the vibrations of, uh, you know, the voices of our community are sort of leading and, uh, where we can bring together, teaching and pastoring, um, for the purpose of discipleship. So, yeah. All right. Well, I, I'm impressed that you're all the way through Easter when you still have all of the schoolwork and stuff to do. That's so let's, uh, let's talk about that a little bit then is even like you're then once you get down into the week to week or the upcoming weeks, cause mm -hmm. I would assume, uh, and maybe you are just a naturally inclined, studious, you spend a lot of time in books and you enjoy that. I mean, I think most of us who preach have a certain amount of that. But what is it? I mean, what's it look like for you to keep? Uh, sermons are relentless. Yeah. You know? And yeah. when you're doing school, too, and yeah. um, you're sustaining a relationship with your wife, at the very least, it looks like. <laughs> yep. So and yep. taking care of dogs, you're feeding dogs, you're a pastor. Yep. So, you know. 
what what does it take for you week to week you know and maybe let's just talk about that this in the context of you know a sample you know example what an example sermon might look like but what's it look like for you week to week to put together those sermons i think you already said you preach for like 25 to 40 minutes yeah yeah so that's about a, right mm-hmm. there's a chunk of con- a chunk of content there so talk a little bit about how a sermon comes together what you know maybe map out the schedule of what that looks like yeah definitely so if I know in advance, like where I'm going, you know, so for instance, um, the series we're doing, why in the world, um, I'm going to be looking at the problem of evil. I've, a, uh, yeah, we, we have this idea at our church that there are things that are convictions of our church. Uh, nonviolence would be a conviction. Um, but then we have things that are opinions. And uh, so my take on the problem of evil is definitely coming from an opinion place, right? So I, I, I happen to be in this land of theology called open theology or open theism, which uh, is controversial in some corners, I suppose. But uh, sure. yeah. uh, so, so as I've kind of prepared, like I, I'm, I've already done a lot of the back work throughout my, my own kind of unrelated study. Um, and, and not even like recently, but like in seminary, I, I wrestled with a lot of this stuff. And so I have this archive of like stuff that I can already pull from. And so that kind of said, along with the reality that because I, I can map out some of my topics ahead of time, uh, the concepts are always lingering. Like they kind of haunt me, like I'll be in the shower and I'll, I'll be thinking about God's foreknowledge as it pertains to the story of um, Abraham trying uh, climbing up a hill to sacrifice his son. And what are the ramifications for how we understand the dynamic relationship between God and humanity and God's um, God's uh, imposition of something that we would consider evil, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so like all week, I've just been sitting with that. Haven't started writing the sermon, haven't done anything to that point at all. Uh, at this point in my week, but I, I'm experientially just sitting with that, being aware of uh, what's happening around me. Once in a while, I might bookmark a story I read on Facebook. Uh, maybe this can be a good illustration of something I'm doing here. And uh, yeah, I, I just sort of let it just swim in my heart and head for a while. And so I tend to be someone who is a back end of the week um, sermon preparer, I suppose. Um, synthesizer. Yeah. Synthesizer. That's a great word. I love that. Um, yeah, I'm a synthesizer, uh, but also a procrastinator. So, so <laughs> both, <laughs> both are, are true. Um, and so, so yeah, when it comes to just the flow, maybe I'll, I'll give you the flow of week and then you can ask me more specific stuff, uh, pertaining to that. Um, I tend to probably by Wednesday, I might touch it. Thursday, hopefully on a good week, I am fully immersed and creating my outline, walking through the process um, that I often walk through. And then by Friday, I'm finalizing stuff. You know, I want to be done on Friday. And don't ask my wife if I'm always done on Friday. But for the purpose of public podcasting, I'm always done done on Friday. Um, And, uh, yeah, um, you know, that's the goal. Like, can I be done with this, have a day to just rest in it and move forward into Sunday? 
Um, so that's kind of the flow of my week. And you ask about academics. I, I'm an ENFP, so I'm a very like kind of go with the groove kind of guy. Um, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, if that matters to certain people. How do you ever sit down and study anything if you're an ENFP and you're a seven? Yeah, yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. I It is so hard because I have these like innate passions to study, but my brain isn't wired like most people who study. So it, it leads me to really trust my intuition a lot. My intuition on the ENFP, like the N is ridiculously high. So, so like I often find that the right resources fall into my lap. I don't know how it happens. Um, and the right things kind of just sort of mesh and work over time. Um, but it's not like a deeply analytical process, even in my academics. Um, and so, and, and, and to say this, uh, N.T. Wright is an ENFP, so I feel like I'm in good company. He says we need more ENFP scholars because we see the big wow. ideas, the big picture. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not yeah. see that coming. Yeah, okay. isn't that crazy? Um, but he's kind of smart. So I'm not that smart. Uh, you know, I'm average smart. But, you know, it, it gives you an idea that, uh, yeah, I, I, have, I have to kind of swim in the tension between inspiration on any given week and also at the same time saying no 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 i can be structured here i can be disciplined here because it's good for my humanity to push a little in that direction too so so yeah um but at the end of the day a lot of my scholarly reading has in fact helped me shape the the worldview that i bring to a text so i can hopefully build a bridge between first century and 21st century on a week-to-week -week basis if uh all goes to plan and all of that. So, so how nerdy of a guy are you? Because I like to get nerdy. If if the if the guest can get nerdy, who uh, I'm happy and to I'm, get nerdy. If I can, I'm not talking about theological nerdery. I'm talking about technological nerdery here. Oh, okay, okay. I was going to say um, I might not be able to hang, but um, <laughs> on either of those, actually, talk to me about uh, technology nerdery, and I will be well, brutally honest if I'm terrible. So, go well, I'm it. just curious because yeah. you, you know you talked about how you've got. You've, you're able to reach back to stuff from when you were getting your MDiv in Fresno, mm -hmm. it sounds yeah. like, and, and draw from that. Is that. Do you have all that stuff neatly tucked away somehow in computer hard drives, or do you just remember particular papers and then you do a certain, like, yeah. how do you keep all of this vast library of previously uh, uh, developed Kurt Willems ideas yeah, handy for you? That is super. Um, yeah, so I do. I that's one area where I've, I'm not organized in very many areas of my life, but when it comes to using the file function in my MacBook, I tend to organize the crap out of my academic stuff or my sermon series, right? So you open Google, um, what is it called? The Google folder thing, uh, Google Drive. Google Drive. Yeah, there you Google go. Drive. It's a thing. Um, I pay two bucks for it a month, so I should probably know what it is. Um, so I open Google Drive and I have a folder that says school. I have a folder that says church. And I just follow this pattern. <laughs> I go into sermon, or, or, uh, sorry, not sermon, uh, my Fresno Pacific folder and Every class has its own folder, and I kind of have this sense of, oh, I think it was in this class that I wrote this paper on this topic. Um, and so, yeah, I can search those and find a lot of my archives. So I think 
I think that's been really helpful, um, especially those who may be listening that did academic stuff post computers. You know what I mean? Like in, in the hard drive sense of computers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those who maybe went to seminary in like the eighties and whatnot, like that probably wasn't as easy an option. And after lugging around these old papers in files that have coffee spilt on them by now or whatever, for the last several decades, it's probably a lot harder. Um, but yeah, so that has been a benefit of just trying to organize my, my files in such a way that they're retrievable is huge. Yeah. yeah. And you, uh, you talked also, though, about like throughout the week, you're just getting ideas. Oh, dude. How are you holding on to those? Do you just hope that by the time you're synthesizing, you remember them all? Or do you, know. do you have napkin, pockets full of napkin scraps? What do you got? Yeah, man. Uh, no, I, I get um, I go to Starbucks not to drink their coffee because who does that? Right. But to actually go and steal all the napkins I can. So I have sermon notes that just float throughout my house. Um that's a lie. Also, if you drink Starbucks, I apologize. But the idea here is actually, yeah, it's it's almost that simple, right? Like, so I have an idea. Sometimes I'm trying to fall asleep at night and this idea pops into my head. Now, some of you know this scenario, right? Like you, you have this great idea and you're like, I'll totally remember this in the morning. Not a big deal. And you fall asleep. You wake up the next day. You're finally ready to touch your notes. And it's like, Oh crap. What was, what was that one thing? It felt so good. Like so insightful. Like it was going to revolutionize my experience this Sunday and then it's gone and it's gone forever. And maybe it accidentally pops in and you don't even know um, that it was that revolutionary idea and it still ends up in your sermon. So what I've done is as often as I can, I use my voice notes on um, my iPhone. That's yeah. the thing that really, whether it's researching a paper idea or it's, I'm saying this sermon, how do I want to say this? So I just like, if I'm commuting somewhere, we'll preach in the car a little bit, you know? And, uh, and, and there's been times when that's talking actually, into your phone while you're driving down the street. Well, it's on speakerphone or whatever. Yeah, no. And it's totally awkward, but not as awkward as it would have been five years ago. Cause everyone talks on their phone with Bluetooth now. So, uh, yeah, man, I've done a lot of that. And, um, Sometimes there's ideas that get tossed in those voice notes that I forget are even there. And I go back to them months later and I'm like, whoa, maybe I can preach on this now, you know? So, um, so yeah, no, I'm definitely like idea hits me and it hits me heavy. I've got to get this on paper or in a voice note or something ASAP. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That, it, I'm actually surprised how seldom that one comes up as I've talked to people. Certainly people talk about, you know, capturing stuff in Evernote and all that. It's funny. Uh, sometimes I go off on tangents. So here we go. Do I'm it. a, I'm a football fan. I'm yeah. wearing my, I'm wearing a Denver Broncos hat right now. Broncos Why? have come up a number of times. Nah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I was just listening to an interview with Adam Gase, who used uh -huh. to be the offensive coordinator for the Broncos. And now he's a coach for Miami, but he talked about how, when he was the coach for when he was the offensive coordinator for the Broncos, he'd get in, yeah. you know, in the morning and he'd like have like 17 emails from Peyton Manning that were just recordings of voice memos because Peyton Manning all the time would just think of something or think about he was watching film or something like that. And then he'd just sit there and rattle off. So he, he said he spent <laughs> awesome. so much time mm -hmm. just listening. To, so you and Peyton Manning share the same preparation technique for whatever that's worth. 
Well, I don't know what I think of Peyton Manning, but I, I do think that I should be paid like Peyton Manning. So, um, you know, the, yeah, I got to tell my Denom like, Hey, apparently I, <laughs> I am the, Peyton I'm the Peyton Manning of the brethren in Christ. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Say. So where is my signing bonus? And they would say, uh, no dude. And actually we think you're a little selfish. You're fired. But anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, yeah, that's definitely how my brain works. I've learned that if I don't capture ideas quickly, I lose ideas and I frustrate myself because my brain just likes to go off in intuition land. And so, um, yeah, that's definitely been something that's been, I would say, fairly revolutionary in sermon prep for me. Well, I think that's a good, you know, if I were to characterize personality types, uh, that's one of the things that's become very clear to me in this podcast is how different personality types, their sermon preparation varies because of that, or at least the ones who have figured out how to best use their personality type. Yeah. And certainly somebody who would be a seven and an ENFP, they're a verbal processor. And yeah. for a lot of them, you know, they talk about how just, I can remember my friend Jim Pace talking about pacing back and forth in front of a whiteboard, talking out loud and scribbling things. Yeah. Or, so the fact that you've figured out that just capturing voice notes is capturing a lot of those ideas on the fly for you. It's got to be because you're verbal processing. Uh -huh. You're thinking, you got to think out loud. And so you're like, well, let's get these thoughts. Oh, yeah. Uh, tucked away. Yeah. No, you're, you nailed it. I, I mean, that's a phrase I use of myself. Definitely a verbal processor. And, uh, you know, there's a, a bummer side to that in conversation. You've, I always preface, like, if I'm in a conversation with someone and it's like around new territory, especially if it could be, perceived negatively, I, I often will say, just so you know, I'm a verbal processor. And so I may say something that I disagree with by the end of our conversation, but I have to get it out there, you know? And, and so yeah. I guess in preaching, I actually have to make sure I rein that impulse in a little bit. Um, but yeah, the verbal processing part, even if I can go on my own little tangent, um, uh, if, if, if there's any listener who is a verbal processor, Definitely capturing voice notes is great, but what I learned is it actually affected the way that I prep my sermon and how I deliver my sermon now. So there was a long season in my life where I would type my sermon word for word and um, because I wanted to phrase things eloquently. You know, I'm a writer. I have a blog. I do all of that um, and uh, love it. You know, absolutely love writing. But when it came to sermon prep, after a while, I started feeling like I was putting so much time into crafting these documents. And, and, and to give you an idea, I knew that uh, a thousand words would take me about 10 minutes. So if I was in the three to 3,500 word range, I was right on target for an average sermon. I would do size 26 font. I would break up every thought into blocks and I would color code every block. So that my eye would capture each block. My transcript at that point was like 28 pages long. I would flip it, you know, in a binder. I mean, I had a very like, that was the old system for me. Um, and what it did was it actually like I produced documents that I was semi proud of, but it took so much more time than simply owning the material rather than depending on material I had produced. And so yeah. I've gotten to a point where I am very much just an outline. Big idea is all I need. Um, trigger based uh, speaker 
And what it's done is it's brought me into the community, right? Like I, I'm no longer behind a podium. I'm no longer dependent on looking up and down the whole time. And uh, it's definitely been freeing. So as a verbal processor, the preparation to go notes to manuscript to how do I deliver manuscript to just say, let's skip the manuscript phase altogether and just own those notes in a way that I feel confident. Um, I, I can just get up there and go once I've prepped in that kind of mentality. Yeah. So what, as you're synthesizing all these, like from you're sitting down and you say the sermon is finished, like what does that structure come together to look like when it's ultimately done and that you therefore take into the non-existent pulpit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have What's a, it look like now? Really, no, that's what I'm sure. asking. <laughs> I've got the typical hip mega church, even though we're not a mega church, right? Uh, podium, aka the high uh, coffee bar table <laughs> that sure, I sure, on sure. the side of me. Um, and so a typical Sunday morning, I, I do my own PowerPoint slides and all of that. Um, and so my slides are finished and I turn those slides into a PDF document with two slides per page. And then I go into that document as a PDF and I actually just type in on the PDF, um, under slide, under each slide, like here's that quote I need, or here's that point, like the point in the slide, I got to make sure I say these three things about it, you know? And so I have notes kind of built into this document, but it's um, very much just, I see that and it triggers what I need. Um, and then if it's something that's more than that, I mean, if it's a quote, it's on the slide anyway, Um, or my big bullet point. So that's, that's kind of how I've done it when it's the final product. Um, as of last week, I'm, I'm exploring, you know, to nerd out a little more. Um, I, I'm a big advocate for logos Bible software. I love what they do and they, they actually have a sermon editor feature that came out with this new edition. And I really love it for the most part. I haven't kind of worked out the kinks, right? So this is literally um, if I use it this week, it'll be week two that I've actually tried to use it beyond just playing with it. Um, but it allows me I haven't me even to... touched that yet. I mean, I oh, saw it's yeah. a new feature, but... Yeah. I mean, you, you can just in real time create an outline. And if you make the outline a heading, you know, you just highlight it and it's a header like a blog post would be. Um, it, it generates a slide for you. And then uh, if you want a Bible verse, you type the reference, hit enter, and that text is broken into the appropriate amount of slides for you. Um, so it's, it's a really cool tool. And then you just, you can print from there your outline, whatever that ends up looking like. And functionally, it does the same thing for the most part that my other method I just mentioned does. And so that's why I'm kind of playing with it. Um, and you can export slides and, you know, add your backgrounds and all of that in PowerPoint and edit the text if you need to. But yeah, so, so the, but yeah, those are the two kinds of ways that I typically like to final product. Um, but I'm definitely much more in the last year done the PowerPoint images plus some text built into the notes sort of thing. So uh, a question, this is going to be a, this is going to be a veering. Go ahead. Uh, but, but this question I jotted down earlier, cause you were talking about Seattle and yeah, uh, you know, from, from living there for a while, I'm, I'm familiar with, and I live in Austin, which they, yeah. they have some crossover, not as much as people like to think they do, but they definitely have some, but, um, I'm curious how much you've had to tweak or other than you, 
other than what you even just talked about in terms of actual presentation and stylistically, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm curious what you've had to learn differently about putting your sermons together coming from, you talked about being more suburban, even rural, you know, to now living in established, and Seattle definitely is a bunch of neighborhoods for sure, you know, and yeah. they all have little unique flavors to them, but uh, you know, even a post-evangelical feeling neighborhood or post-evangelical feeling church, what have you had to learn to do differently in terms of your sermons? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that's a great question. I, I'm going to, want to think about it. I mean, I think as a verbal no, process, no you got to answer now. No, I know you're <laughs> killing me here. This is a really good question. So I want to be verbal process it. Yes. Yes. So I think my instinct is to say that I've learned, uh, I've learned to be freer. Um, that, that is the first thing I would say now, now what I mean by freer, um, it's not just my neighborhood that shaped this, but it's definitely like this is the first gig in which I was I am the lead pastor versus a teaching pastor under someone else's like authority. And right. so there's always a limit to how free you can be in that scenario because you are honoring someone else's vision, right? And and I always wanted to be good at honoring the vision that I was in accountability to. Um I am now able in such a way um, to kind of set the vision, at least locally, like I'm still part of the body of Christ and our denomination, but locally um, with, a, with you know, a community of people helping shape it, I ultimately get to um, do a lot of that. And so in our setting, I often get things like, I'm so glad we're at a church where you actually said that, you know, or I'm... I'm so glad that when I come here, I don't have to worry that you're you're going to say something every week that's going to um, be wounding or offensive or, um, you know, because a lot of these folks come out of backgrounds that to them were experienced as highly judgmental, um, highly... uh, if you don't do A, B, or C, you're definitely not like an authentic follower of Christ or, um, you know, what have you. And, and so I think that's been one thing. I think the other thing is that I feel as though, uh, where I take people has changed. Um, I want to take people towards transformation every time. And, and and I don't know how I, how well I accomplished that, but I guess back in the day, uh, in my suburban context, I was like, how can I blow everyone's mind? These suburbanites have never heard this crazy idea. Here we go. Um, I still like blowing people's minds if I'm able to once in a while. Uh, but I'm finding more so that the challenge of a post-Christian context is to keep it thoroughly Christian, right? And to keep it thoroughly like, hey, we're not such a radical alternative that we don't want you to know Jesus personally still, you know? Like like we think that God really interacts with you, not just like in some theoretical sort of abstract, distant God um, that fits the categories of progressivism or whatever. Um, we actually think this God 
is dynamically committed to your flourishing. And, and that means relationship. That means engagement. That means um, a lot of the things that maybe were part of your upbringing that you pushed away as you pushed away all of the bad things. And now we're inviting you to say, well, some of that might have actually been good if it was framed around these other um, sort of categories that are maybe more liberating, freeing, et cetera. And so, um, so yeah, that's also been interesting. Uh, so I guess those are kind of two different, two different ways uh, that I've noticed my own preaching evolve in our setting and, and it's still evolving. I mean, um, sure. you know, it's been a, about a year and a half that I've done this weekly and um you know, and I guess secretly, uh, I find myself more drawn to the phrasing and the wit of some of the large megachurch pastors that for a season didn't feed my soul very much because I maybe theologically am different or was, you know, a missional church guy or whatever, right? But now right, I'm right. finding, hey, I can put aside those differences and there's something good to glean here. Like, like, don't tell anyone. Oh, uh, I'm admitting this on a, sh on a podcast. Don't tell anyone. But I listen to Andy Stanley because I actually get something out of it, even though I disagree with so much of probably He's a fantastic communicator. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, yeah. and to be able to say things like he says them, even if I say different things than he says, oh, that's that's amazing. Um, and so so, yeah, like I am. I'm finding myself um, being much more open to integrating the techniques and ideas of others that are different from me because I think the people in my context still need, and including myself, some of those things that we would maybe be tempted to push out sort of the baby and bathwater deal. And so, um, so, yeah, that's all kind of been part of it. Yeah. Well, what are some... Uh, we'll start winding down here. We're oh, hitting fine. our yeah. we're hitting our time. But what are some um, what are some resources that have really been helpful for you? Maybe shaping how you, you know maybe they're books or maybe there's something else, but that you just feel like have shaped how you do the preaching that you do. Yeah. So, so I would say uh, let me put them into two categories. So one will be like books about preaching, right? So sure. so books about preaching. Um, you know, to be honest, I learned more through experience and I learned through a lot of text. But um, one book that I I grabbed as soon as we were getting ready to launch Pangea uh, was Communicating for a Change by Andy Stanley. There you go. There I you mean, go. Yeah. there it is, right? Um, here's this semi-progressive post-evangelical Anabaptist guy, you know, uh, reaching for that because it's useful. Um, so I would say that book has been helpful. Um, I also, for me, when I'm disciplined, which isn't all the time, given my personality type, I guess, uh, I also use this flow sheet that the rocket company put together preaching rocket and, um, I've adapted it. So I've added some of my own language, but it's a really cool resource that starts with like building boxes. And, and so I can just jot notes and ideas and, um, you know, and, I, and I'm always thinking about um, as I use that resource or as I've gleaned from Andy Stanley, like problem solution, like that's kind of like where a lot of my preaching is lately, I think is problem to solution, not like solution in the sense of, 
here's the answer to the problem, but rather like, let's just name that this thing is rough. So what, how does the gospel speak to that? You know? Um, and so, yeah, as I think about resources, uh, those are two that have been really helpful. And then of course, like in my own spiritual journey, I would say, um, you know, I've been highly influenced over the years, uh, by, I don't know, Rob Bell, uh, Brian McLaren, Bruxy Cavey, Greg Boyd, you know, I need yeah. some more females in there. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll say Rachel held Evans. Um, you know, some of these people that, uh, are good storytellers and communicate something that's subversive. Um, th those are the voices that have helped me think about the way I talk about Jesus. Um, and so, so yeah, the, that would be less of the nuts and bolts, but I think both kind of categories really matter. But it is helpful to listen to voices. Just lots of people communicate because you start to find, it's funny because you were talking about Andy Stanley. I used to listen to a ton of Andy Stanley. I haven't much lately. Now you got me wanting to go back because I go. do think he's a master, but I know that I still have Stanleyisms that come out even in how I preach. Like I, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure if I would go back and listen again, I'd go, oh, yeah, that's something I picked up from him. But but then at the same time, I, I, I wouldn't say that my sermon structure is very similar to Andy Stanley at all. Right. But you, you just pick up things that you go, OK, that there's something about what they're doing that works for me. I'm not going to preach just like them. And as you right. hear different voices and as you hear a McLaren or a Bell or a Rachel Held Evans, you know, you start to yeah. realize they communicate something in a way that that might be suit me better than the direct mentors that I experienced and how they communicate things. So there's so much value in here and how different people do things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I, I would say like, as, as my own sermon style has evolved, um, I catch myself, right. Cause I listen to a lot of sermons cause I always want to grow personally and as a communicator. And, uh, so I podcast like crazy and, um, what I've noticed about my own style is there's always a temptation to over absorb some of those influences. And sure, then you sure. find yourself like using mannerisms or saying words in, it becomes natural second nature in your talks. But then you are listening to someone else talk again. And you're like, Oh, they say the same thing. I say, wait a second. I totally just like rip that from them. And yeah, sometimes yeah. that's okay. But when it's utterly obvious, you kind of, I don't know, I, I kind of go like, oh, I should probably like just be true to who I am. <laughs> you For know? sure. You know, so there's, there's always a temptation to go overboard. But I am a big advocate of lots of voices, lots of influence, because I, I want to be the kind of person who can glean um, insight from all kinds of different traditions and styles um, because, uh, I think, I think God's more complex than we let him be sometimes. And so, uh, I'm, I'm happy to draw the good where I can find it. Well, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but talk about just other places people can find you online, your blog and, uh, the social media, where can people find all We talked about obviously the Paul cast, but yeah, yeah. So my, my primary thing right now is the Paulcast, and that's uh paulcast.org um it's also on itunes so you know it, like you would find any other any other podcast you can find it um i would also say that if you just go to kurtwillems.com it's actually a landing page to my blog to the Paulcast and social media 
Kurt Willems, K-U-R-T-W-I-L-L-E-M-S.com. Um, and so I also blog at Patheos. Uh, my blog there is called the Pangea blog. I've been doing that for, uh, well, at Patheos since 2011. Um, and, uh, yeah, Twitter is slash Kurt Willems, Facebook slash Kurt Willems. And uh, I'm pretty, I try to stay pretty engaged in those mediums when I can. So I'd uh, love to hear from you, folks. Yeah. It helps when you have a unique enough name that you could jump in and get those early on. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because Williams, yeah. I hear Williams all the time, but Williams yeah. isn't real common, is it? No, it's not. There's there's a guy, I think, from the Netherlands that has my exact same name. And then I think there's some lawyer in, like, North Carolina that has my name. Gotcha. Uh, and I'm pretty sure no one else, at least on the interwebs, has that name. So <laughs> it wasn't too hard to get the unique URLs that I needed. Um, but, yeah, yeah. So that's how you can find me. And, hey, if you're in the Seattle area and um, are looking for a church or you know people in the seattle area of course we'd love to have visitors at this stage of our community um and that that website is seattlepangea.com well kurt thanks so much it's good to connect yeah absolutely and thanks for uh, thinking of me for this podcast i'm looking forward to uh hearing what we talked about and hopefully something in there was actually useful for someone would, so uh would thanks you listen back to this do you are you one who's willing to painfully listen back to things that you've recorded oh all the time and yeah. i i analyze and grow uh there's a preaching nugget every week i listen to my sermons uh yeah. so yes i will be listening and then i will also be tracking with other people this is a, a great project you're up to here so oh thanks yeah well thanks kurt blessings to you Hey, thank you. As always, if you're finding the podcast helpful and the time that's being put into this, I would love it if you would go to patreon.com slash sermonsmith. There you can support the podcast by pledging any amount you desire for per episode that we put out, whether that be a dollar or five dollars or whatever might be helpful. We have a handful of people there who are doing that, and it really helps just with my time and hosting costs. So if this is helpful to you, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Sermon Smith. Thanks so much, friends.